This is the Apparently Parent Podcast and in today's episode we are going to talk about how the ways you communicate with the children motivates them or dismotivates them. Is that a word? I don't know. Let's see after the intro. You're listening to the Apparently Parent Podcast, where we combine the art of parenting with the science of psychology. I'm Iran Katz, and for over 10 years as a clinical psychologist, I've been helping people from age 6 to 86 live a happier, more flexible life. In the process, I have learned about the things parents do to make or break a childhood, and what turns children into happy, confident human beings. This podcast is for you, the 21st century parent who believes that better parenting can make a better world. So if that's you, and you're ready to elevate your parenting journey, let's go! I'm your host, Eran Katz. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Apparently Parent Podcast. I'm very happy that you are with me today. This is episode number 63. I like this number because I like numbers that adds up to 9. This is some creaky thing that you didn't really have to know about, but you are now. Anyway, today I'm talking with a special guest, Jim Van Allen. He's talking with us about communication and more specifically how the ways we communicate with our children helps us to motivate them. This is a very dense and good one, so let's just roll that tape. All right, my friend. So my guest today is a professor of communication studies and a fellow podcaster who runs the podcast Communicate to Motivate, where he helps his listeners develop strong communication skills in different areas of life. And he also runs the Positive Schools program that provides training to K-12 schools on leadership, communication and culture. And we're going to talk about uh, social pressure, communication between parents and children and more. So Please join me in welcoming Dr. Jim Vanellian. Jim, hi, how are you? I'm doing great here. Good to be with you all. Good to be with your listeners. I'm excited to be here. Got a lot of great topics to talk about and add some value to your audience. So a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. I'm very, very happy that you're here with me today. We are going to talk about social pressure. Uh, but before we dive into, into that, just Tell us a little bit about yourself. I did introduce you a little bit, but a little bit about, about yourself and how you find yourself speaking about speaking, because I know that's something you do. Yeah, speaking is something I've always treasured, something I've always loved and and thought I was pretty good at. Like when I was a teenager in high school, doing speaking competitions and being involved in clubs and organizations. And you get to a point where you say, well, what can I do with this skill, right? I'm a young young kid, young student. What can I do with this? I'm going into college and you know my university university of florida did not have a major in public speaking right or communication so i had to pivot a little bit and i went the public relations route i thought well it's still communication i can kind of you know learn learn that aspect a little bit and and but i i always wanted to be a motivational speaker one of these inspirational speaker type you see go on stage go in the companies that was always pulling at me and i had had an internship in public relations and, and everybody in that internship had seen a speaker. His name is John Gordon. They'd seen him speak at a conference and they said, Jim, he's two hours away. You should contact him. And I said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll contact him. So I wrote him an email 2006, August. I said, I'd love to be a speaker. would love any help you could provide. He wrote me back, gave me a cell phone uh, and we communicated the next day. That was 2006. And we haven't stopped working together since. So I graduated college and, you know, 
we kept working together as I went and got my master's degree. Uh, so I could teach my master's is in communication studies. I always wanted to teach on the university level. And while I was, you know, when I was teaching, I was able to get my PhD through my university, almost hundred percent covered, which was quite a blessing. And I sort of built two paths, right? I had my teaching path in communication and public speaking. Then I had my speaking path where I was working with John, building his company, going into schools, uh, training companies, keynote speaking, full day, half day training, everything in between. And now we're about to launch a new program called Positive Schools, where we're going to be you know, focusing on uh, improving school culture all around the United States of America and, and training school leaders and, and infusing a lot of the principles he's talked about in some of his books and bringing them to schools and saying, hey, if you can talk about these principles on your campus, they can really work wonders for your morale and for your culture. So that's, that's me, right? I love to teach communication, but I also like to practice it by actually doing it on stage with clients. And of course, with my podcast, Communicate to Motivate, I'm trying to help people develop stronger communication skills. It's worked in my life, and I really like helping others do the same. Yeah, and as you as you said that, I, I suddenly thought about how I, what an app name it is for for the podcast, communicate to motivate. Because I guess, as you said, you want to be you wanted to be a motivational speaker. You wanted to be one of those people who go up on stage and 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 give a speech or talk with people, and and you want to move something in them, right? And I kind of thought about it like that that. As a parent, sometimes that's your role. You're trying to be the type of motivational speakers your children need. And do you ever find yourself using your knowledge and skills and you know hacks and tricks from the classroom or from you know whatever workshops you're doing with your children? I do, and with my wife too. And my <laughs> wife will call me out on it too. She will call me out and say, "I know what you're trying to do, right?" Or I'll get the other side, where it's, "Hey, you're supposed to be Mister Communication, but yet you're saying and doing this." And I'm, then I'm like, "Well, you got me, right? Yeah. I hands up against the wall." But you know, but you're right. I do because I I like to walk what I talk, walk what I preach, which is all about having positive thinking shifting your perspective a little bit, taking ownership of your thoughts and using good communication skills with everything from body language to asking questions to people and everything in between and using that with my family and teaching my children, modeling it. I think that's the better thing is Mm -hmm. modeling good communication, modeling good positive thinking, uh, tone, you know, the words we use, modeling that for my children who are going to be six and four next week. They're uh, exactly two years apart. Wow. And they're at an age where, you know, they're picking up on these things and they're starting to understand that what I, what the words you use uh, definitely matter. And there's studies all over. I mean, the Center for Effective Parenting, right? University of Tennessee found that children learn to communicate by watching their parents. Mm-hmm. And that's not rocket science, but that's what they're exposed to the most. They're looking at how you're behaving in, in public and on the phone with your spouse. You know, when you, they, they hear in the car, when mom and dad are talking and driving, right? And the kids are in the back seat, they hear everything. My son will come at me, you know, even a day later and say, Dad, you said that. What does this mean? And I'm like, whoop, <laughs> you shouldn't have heard, you know? They hear, they see everything. And I think that holds us as parents accountable for how we behave because they're learning from us. 
Yeah. They're going to be the product of the environment they find themselves in. That's really important. And to me, that's motivating, right? Communicate to motivate. That's motivating to not only be the best communicator for myself and because that will impact society, you know, good, but for my, my legacy, my flesh and blood, my children to become good communicators so they can pay it forward as well. It's all, it's a big domino effect, right? Yeah. And I totally relate to that part of the way I, I work with parents is by uh, what I call the parenting map. And, and one of, of, of the pillars of that is, is finding your own purpose, which mean, means what are your values as a human being as a, and, and as a parent in particular. And legacy is a big part of that because it's how, um, how you affect how, how you conduct yourself is how your children will learn to conduct themselves and their children after that, etc. And I really like to think about those ripple effects. And, and you really touch on a very important topic, which where I see many times people kind of miss out of, about how they act and not only how they talk, also how they, they act in the nonverbal way their children just pick up from that and here in Israel, the culture can be very harsh sometimes, the cultural norms and way people talk to each other, which is really different from places like the United States, at least in, in some places. And you can really see people disrespecting each other sometimes. And then uh, they're baffled in, in the ways their children act the same way. And they sometimes never see the connection between how they talk and act and, you know, react when someone cuts them off in, in you know, on the road, etc. And then they expect the children to be these goody two-shoes types. And, you know, that's never going to happen. No. And you're, you're, you're right. Because, I mean, everybody needs to realize communication is generational. And your your family system how you how you set up your family what you value is generational and you know you know that you know in israel you know you can you all can trace back generations and generations and 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 it's all links together right we we try to we try to be better than the last generation but we have to we have to work at that so yeah. if my grandfather was a poor communicator odds are my father probably was and then i have the tendencies to be that as well just because that's what we've seen. And if nobody has worked on it through the generations, then it's going to continue being a generational curse or whatever you yeah, want to call it. It's going to be being passed down the line. Exactly. Because we all have tendencies, right? And, you know, we all have tendencies towards, towards certain, certain habits and certain ways of thinking and how we behave. And communication is part of that. Uh, and, and that's, we, you can't fight DNA. Okay. <laughs> and you can try to improve it and be more. That's why the more self-aware you become as a human being, the more you're like, okay, I, I have a tendency to have a short fuse. Well, guess what? Oh, wait a minute. My dad was like that. And oh, wait a minute. His mom, I was told my grandmother was like, uh-oh, that's something then I can say, I need to work on that because mm -hmm. I see my child doing the same thing. When somebody takes a toy out of their hand, they are flipping out. And what, you know what? That happened to me when like you said somebody cut me off. I, it's generational, so we yeah. can be the ones this generation to kind of have communication be at the forefront and say, "Well, I'm, number one, I'm going to be more self-aware of how I am, how I act, think, and behave, how, how I use my nonverbals, mm -hmm. how I treat and talk to people, and I'm going to model that for my children so they see that, and we can break that poor communication 
generational curse, as, as I may call it. I think one of the biggest problems that parents experience, at least you know, from my perspective, questions that I'm, I'm asked and, and from people around you know, social media or people who come to, to work with me, parents feel a lot of times that their children never listen to them or that they're trying to communicate a message that the children kind of either repel or like, you know, it's going from one ear and, you know, and out the, the other one. Maybe you can think about things that parents can work on or what, what, what do we need to do in order to get our children to, to, to listen and to be motivated and to make this a, con- a conversation. You, you know how sometimes we, we tend to lecture our children and that's not very probably not very motivational and not very conversational. Once we all, once we figure out that question, I think we'll all be millionaires. How do we get our kids <laughs> to listen? Cause I'm working on that too with my, with my two boys, but here's the thing. So everybody, you know, how do you get your kids to listen? Well, number one, as your listeners, right. Are you actually working on this as a family? Like, is this being discussed in your family? I was talking about the, your family system, right? What is your family system value? In my household, we value listening. We value communication. So guess what? We value that. We're going to be talking about it with our children, even when they're being good, even when they're not, when, when there's not an issue, like if they're, if they're misbehaving and they're not listening to me, that's maybe not the best time to be, you know, reinforcing our family values. That's, that's, you have to insert the corrective behavior there, but we're talking about listening and communication when things are going well, we're at the car, we're at the dinner table. And, and so they know that's what we expect. We expect when we say something that, well, in this household, we value that. And that's just something that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the expectation. It's just, it's like the air you breathe. It's just something that you do. And, and it's an ongoing process. So we talk about it, we work on it. We, and we also, I think what's been helpful too, is we reinforce a lot. So when one of our children uh, is, is actually listening or does something without us telling them, we know where they go and they put their stuff into the dishwasher or their clothes are going to the right spot and they make their bed and all that stuff. And I didn't say anything. We're going to reinforce, Hey, I saw that you did this. That's a great job. I didn't have to say anything to you and you did it. So that shows me as a parent that you've listened to me. Mm-hmm. So we're reinforcing the good behavior more yeah. than we are finger wagging at them <laughs> for being a poor listener, because that's going to happen. And trust me, when they act up or when, you know, I tell them the, the number one thing dad wants is for you to listen. That's like the, my number one thing, because I, I'm a very time sensitive person. Like, you know, I'm very, I prioritize well, I structure stuff. I, well, I like to move through the day, right? And if you're not listening to me, if you're taking 20 minutes to get your shoes on and get in the car, that causes me anxiety yeah. as a human being. Okay. <laughs> so I try to reinforce, hey, you got your shoes on, you're in the car. Hey, thank you so much. You listened. You did a great job at that. So I'm hoping they hear that enough and they just start you, you slowly but surely, man. Yeah, you know, slowly but surely they get it and they say, okay, it means a lot to dad. And mom, that I listened and I followed through. And I did this on my own, or I behaved here. I want that po- number one. I want that positive reinforcement because kids do. But number two, that's the right thing to do because that's what's been reinforced in this household. Mm. Yeah, I like that, and and I think how how important it is to to know not only how to talk to your children but how to listen, and this is something that it's 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 a skill that's worth developing. 
like really listening to what I have to say. How many times, and that's something that, you know, I think any one of you guys who listen right now can think about how many times your children are trying to tell you something and you cut them off because you're busy. And it's okay to be busy sometimes, but let them know that it's not the right time to have a conversation. Or even if you're not busy, but, you know, you already in your head figuring out what you're going to say. So you just complete their sentences or, or you know, move, move to the next point. But when you do that, and I sense that sometimes with my son, for example, he's seven years old, so he has a lot to, to tell me. He, he just wants to, to express himself and he doesn't want me to know what he's going to say. By cutting him off, by not really listening, I'm doing him a disservice. So we need to, to notice that. It's so easy to just let that you know, escape our um, consciousness. I, yeah, I like that you said that and because I've, I've said that before you know, on my podcast and in my talks that our kids have a lot to say. And if we want them to be good communicators, let teach them how to express themselves and let them express themselves, you know, appropriately when they're, when they're telling a story or if they're, you know, Hey, you know, if they're misbehaving, Hey, why are you, what are you feeling right now? What's going on right now? Mm -hmm. And just let them talk instead of cutting them, like you said, instead of cutting them off and saying, no, 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 that's not it. Just let them get it out. And they'll kind of, that teaches them to work through their emotions. So they don't have to have a phone to help work through their emotions. They can work through it themselves. Mm -hmm. And our kids have a lot of great things to say. You have a seven-year-old, I have a six-year-old, very smart, and really can say some pretty interesting stuff sometimes yeah. if you just kind of let them talk. I love just asking open-ended questions. Uh, you know, what were some of your favorite things you did today? Instead of how was your day? Tell me specifically, like, what did you enjoy? Well, tell me some things that, that, that really motivate or made you happy today, right? Those like specific questions, just kind of let them talk, let them talk. And then I ask these clarifying questions on, well, tell me that again, or how did that day make you feel? Or how did they, where you're just always getting them to kind of self-analyze their emotions and work through things and just understand that it is normal to, to talk about how you're feeling, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing, all these things without being interrupted. Yeah. I think that's that's hard for us as adults, right? We want control. I'm a dad, right? I want a little bit more. I want some control. We all want, we all want control, especially me over like time stuff. And sometimes I got to just take a deep breath and I'll even squat down sometimes and get eye to eye mm -hmm. and say, all right, talk to me. What's going on? You know, why are you upset? Let's instead of, instead of the high perch where you're yeah. standing tall over them, right? And you have that nonverbal. That's a nonverbal yeah. space. It's nonverbal. I'm up here. You're waiting. Sometimes it's easy. Just get down. You can give them a hug. You can look them eye to eye. And that really, I've noticed that really um, diffuses things uh, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and from strictly from, from a neuro, neurological level, when you go down to the levels, you are giving really the nonverbal signal that uh, everything is safe. Because when you talk down to them, especially when you're upset or angry, so your voice all, all also goes, you know, to those places. But even if, if that's not the case, the act of going down to their level really gives the, the cue of, of safety because you're in their eye level, you're, you're there with them. So powerful. Right. And then you can, you can initiate the hug. You can kind of grab their hand. You can kind of put your arm around them. Hey, sit on my, sit on my leg here. Let's talk. And then they're, they can, they can feel you touch wise. And they, and, and it's just the energy changes significantly from being this authoritarian, authoritarian to more of a, 
uh, a, 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 a tough love type thing or a love tough type of thing. I should call it love tough where, you know, and, and there are times, right? Don't get me wrong, right? There are times where we need to be that uh, authority, where we need yeah. to lay it down, where we need to be up here. But then there are other times and it's all situationally where we need to come down to the level where we need to lay in bed with them, where we need to stop the car and turn around where we need, where we need to do those things. And I think it's important to know your child, right? Know, know what their emotional triggers are. If you understand what their triggers are and you understand the understanding how someone wants to be communicated with is key. Okay. So if you have a child who reacts well to when you get down and talk to them eye to eye and you, you give them that one-on-one -on -one attention, that's great. Maybe you have a child who needs a little bit of space, you know, between when they're getting in trouble and that's, hey, go to your room. Let's talk in 10 minutes. Let's talk in 15 minutes. Maybe that's helpful. I, I'm like that, right? I, I want to know how, how you communicate with me. You, I want to know how I communicate with my spouse. How do you best want to be communicated with? Ask them. You can do that with our spouses and our people in our families, but with our children, being able to read them and yeah. and they're going to make it pretty obvious how they want to be communicated with and trial and error can help you get to that point. But once you find it, then you need to really be using that because that will help them to feel comfortable, more relaxed. It'll lower the emotions. It'll decrease some of the meltdowns and it'll just help them to express themselves much more comfortably and genuinely. Yeah. So um, I, I I, I think that's really valuable what, what you just said about really getting to know your children better in a way of how they want to be communicated uh, with. Um, and it's really powerful. And that's something that we um, we need to work on. And it's all about being more mindful of what is going on in their minds. And they they actually tend to tell us in their own nonverbal way right? You, you see their expressions, you see their body language, if you're attuned to that. And I think most parents have that in them because that's what we do with babies. Babies can talk, they can tell us anything, but they they communicate a lot with their, um, with their cooing and their crying and their uh, ex expressions. So, and we are much more attuned to that. Uh, and parents kind of quote unquote, forget how to do that when the children grow up to be four years old, for example, or even three. And that's really powerful when you can really read, read the signs and, and then you, you approach each one of your children in, in an optimal kind of way. And in a and right and in a situational way, because there might be some listeners who have multiple kids, and you know what, like my wife is one of five, and they're all very different, right? Just on uh, personality and and how they want to be communicated with and how they communicate, and it's sometimes being the the outsider coming into the family, one of five, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's like all right, I got to talk this way to this person and this way to this person, you know. And but I'll do that though. I'm like a you know a, com a communication chameleon where I sort of change my <laughs> colors depending on who I'm with, just because I want them to feel comfortable and, and want them to feel you know good talking with me. And our kids can be the same way. It, everything is nonverbal, right? Between sixty and ninety percent of our communication is nonverbal. Yeah. As you're talking about babies, the the number one thing babies first recognize is, is nonverbal communication, mm -hmm. touch. What does the, the nurse do? They take the baby out, put it right in mom's arms, right against their chest, at least in the US, right? I mean, with our first, with our second child, we said we don't want to have any of the stuff they put in their eyes. We don't want to try to breastfeed right away. We just want to put them right on mom's chest. 
and the baby calmed down instantaneously. And there's a lot of research that shows that with newborns, right? Take them out and put them right on mom and just let them nuzzle in, you know, the smells, the feel, the touch. I, I got to, you know, kind of pet his back and touch his back with him as well. And it's nonverbals. And then they start, they hear tone of voice from inside the womb, right? Mm-hmm. Inside the womb, they're understanding tone. Then when they get out, they hear it. They recognize mom and dad's voice. Then they open their eyes and they start seeing facial expressions. And what do we do? We make these grand <laughs> gestures and facial expressions, and then they react. So they're hardwired. The nonverbals are hardwired into them. That's why it's probably our strongest sense, whatever you want to call it. And it's something that is just as important as we get older, because when you're talking to kids and family and people, we tend to trust the nonverbals more than we do the verbal every time. All right. So I want to switch gears a little bit. And, and we wanted to also talk about social pressure. And, and I know you recently had a series in, of episodes in, in your podcast where you talked about families and you also talked about social pressure that um, children are experiencing. So what, what do you think about the things children are facing today? And, you know, we can think about how, how those things are different from what their parents, which, you know, you, you and me and my listeners used to experience because social pressure was always there, but it's kind of different. It, it is different. And we, to me, we're in a culture of, of expectation. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in a culture that expects society-wise that you find success, that you contribute, that you do well. And there's nothing wrong with that, I would say, but it's the, it's the, the parents are putting the, um, the uh, pressure on their kids from a very young age and not letting them struggle through challenges. I think that's a hard part for a parent nowadays is they see the child struggling through something and they want to come in and, and come in on the white horse and rescue them and, and tell them, you know, give them a participation trophy. And we're not letting our kids sort of struggle through challenges, not saying you leave them out to dry, but there's some character building that goes on. We can be the ones to be the supportive and facilitate and support and, tell them we're there for them. But mm-hmm. sometimes we have to teach our children that, that they have to work through. Ultimately, they have to work through it uh, on their own. Like we can help them, of course, by talking with them and being, like I said, being there with them. But it's going to serve them so much better if they can kind of draw their own conclusions and come out of that struggle, knowing that they, that they accomplished something, that they did it, that they, that they, came to the realization what they needed to do. So I think in this culture of expectation and pressure, you know, social media certainly doesn't help. I think too many kids and families, you know, our kids are, are getting a false sense of self-identity through social media by what they see and who they interact with. And I think that fills them with the pressure on, from a look standpoint, from a accomplishments uh, standpoint, and that puts a lot of pressure on them to be keeping up with. I mean, you have a, a very open society now, like, you know, with, with our friends, with people all over. So you can, you can compare yourself a lot. And I think that adds a lot of pressure, especially, you know, if you're, if your friends are going out after high school or they get older, right. You see some friends that are starting to do well and do well, and maybe you're not doing as well. And you start feeling negative about yourself, even though you are doing well, you're just not as well as somebody else. Right. And that can kind of add some uh, pressure as well to it. And families feel it too. 
I call it, and in America, we kind of have a phrase of, uh, it's called keeping up with the Joneses. And that means, you know, Bob down the street gets a brand new TV. Well, guess what? I got to get a new TV. Janie got a new car. Well, you know, my car, I got to get a new car. They painted their house. I got to paint my house where it's this constant one-upsmanship keeping up with. And that's exhausting. <laughs> that's pressure. And that can cause a lot of anxiety. That can cause a lot of heartache, uh, self-doubt, negativity. And and our kids are experiencing the same thing too. I don't want to, I don't want to, completely put down social media, um, even though there's a lot of censorship going on right now in the US, but I don't want to completely put them down. But I will tell you that when used well and used effectively, social media can be a great platform for ideas and to share positive stuff. But there's an underbelly there that has gotten, I think, out of control and probably was not in the vision of the creators You know, 15 years ago. They had no clue what it would really turn into on a mass level. And I think for for children specifically, uh, the all of these comparison games and trying to achieve something that is kind of like an ideal is very hard. It's harder for them than for us adults because they don't have the internal structure to to tell themselves that you're perfect just as you are. You find just as you are. It's okay to strive to be this or that, but you know. You, you and I can can see something, you know, as parents, you can see someone's post on, on Facebook, for example, or Instagram, and you think to yourself, wow, they really have it going very well. What a perfect little family. And my house is a mess. But, you know, that's one thought that you're having. And then you remind yourself that they took the picture of the house when it was clean, not when it was messy. You can do this differentiation. Children cannot. They don't have the, this capacity yet. They don't have this perspective yet. So it's really tough uh, when, when all this pressure is being you know, put down on them and they don't have the capacity to brush it off. Right. And they, you know, what they don't understand too is that everybody is dealing with something. There's, all, we all have stuff we're working on, right? We all have baggage. We all have emotional baggage. We all have pasts and histories that that wear on us, and family drama, and just stuff that you know, guilt and all. We we all have some mental stuff we're all working on. All of us, right? But the social media. You're not going to find that out because I'm going to put my best life out there. You're exactly what you said. I'm going to take the picture of the house when it is spotless. I'm yeah. going to put pictures up there when I have shade, when my wife's hair is nice and my kids are smiling well. You know, I mean, you're going to see the best and that's just not really realistic. But our students and our kids, I say that they, they haven't lived long enough to, to have the capacity to say, this really isn't the real world because they don't know life without social media. You and I do. I joined Facebook in 2004 when it first started. I was a freshman in college. And you see these links to join. What's this Facebook thing, right? And it's just a university thing at the time. But so, and I know life before that. I didn't get a cell phone till I was 18 years old, a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. I made it through middle school, high, most of my high school with the landline, with no social media. I know that world before it, but our students now, they don't know the world yeah. before social media. When you so, wanted to talk with a friend, you had to call the house and talk with the parents first. 
Hi, Mr. So-and-so, <laughs> is, is John there? Can I talk? Or if you your girlfriend, right? That was the worst. Oh, God, her dad picked up, her mom picked up. You know, that was the worst. You know, now, direct shot, direct line, circumnavigates the parents. And that makes parents feel out of control, too, because it's like, I can't have my thumb on everything that the child does. And that causes pressure and anxiety as well, you know, and especially with parents. Right? Parents put pressure on themselves to... You know, it's the comparison game. It really is. I mean, we, you want your child to do well and do and do ex- ex- exceptional and be good behavior, and, and be, not only because you that's you know how how it should be, but because your neighbor's kid is well too, and your sister's child is doing well and well behaves. Why can't you be more like that? Or well, they're like this. We're always looking left and right. We don't stay in our lane enough and and understand that whatever's going on in my house with my kids. I can deal with that. They're developing just fine, maybe a little bit slower than some of the other kids, but you know what? They're on target. They're on benchmark and I love them and they're beautiful. And we celebrate that. That's, that's awesome. So just, you know, to kind of move away and close it off, what do you think parents can do, you know, from at least from your standpoint, when you talk about speaking and motivation and communication and, and you know, deliver, delivering a message. What do you think parents can do if their children, if or if they sense their children are under some kind of social, like a peer pressure or just this need to perfect at anything? What what can we do? What how how should we approach them? Well, so that's 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 a great question. And approaching our our kids and and talking with them about about this. I, I would say that trust your, so when, when, when people are struggling or they're in the middle of a challenge, they always go back to their training, right? Mm-hmm. That's the teaching in the military. When you're, when you're caught in the middle of it, go back to your training, go back to your training. And if you're, if you have young kids right now, you have, you still have plenty of time to get their minds right and help them to see a world that doesn't have to be perfect and to set the tone in the house that I don't expect you to be perfect. I use that with my kids a lot. I, you know, before we go into somebody's house, I'll talk to them. I'll say, okay, what kind of behavior do I expect today? And sometimes my, my oldest would be like, oh, you expect this to be perfect. And I said, no, I said, I don't. I just expect you to listen and be good boys, you know, in general. So I'm already trying to wash that out, that the word, the P word, the perfect word. So I think setting the tone early is helpful. Embracing them when they're when they're struggling or when they do something wrong, and not just shoving them into the room and really getting on top of them and really you know and really making them feel bad, but un- helping them understand that maybe that behavior wasn't the best. Put in the correctable behavior and move on. Forgive. Move on. Don't let it linger. So then they understand that it's okay to mess up. Because I'm still going to be loved. I'm still going to be appreciated by mom and dad, the people that matter the most. And that'll help when they're younger. Now, I think if you have teenagers, right? If you have older kids, then it becomes a little bit more difficult, especially if you haven't set that tone early when you have young kids. And I I think here's the case of having that open door policy and always trying to be, like I said, communicate to motivate, right? really trying to work on the communication, ask the right questions to get them to open up. Don't push, right? When you when you feel like they're going, when they're not ready to communicate, 
uh, and try to come at it organically. So try to come at your teenager who has a lot of pressure on them and feels like they need to be perfect. Try to come at that organically instead of sitting them down and saying, okay, so tell me everything about what you're feeling right now. You know, <laughs> they may not respond to that, but if you can think of some conversation topics that will lead to topic B, then lead to topic C, and then it goes a little bit deeper. And then finally, you can get to the point where it's like, okay, they'll start being a little more open and honest with you about what's going on. Then you can talk to them. I, I would say trying to listen and understand what they're feeling instead of just, I think had you mentioned earlier, instead of just saying to, uh, well, well, you shouldn't feel like that. Or that's crazy. Why are you thinking like that? And, and saying some of those things I think doesn't validate them. Doesn't they don't feel heard? A teenager, a young, an older kid's not going to feel heard mm -hmm. if they're just told they shouldn't feel that way. They shouldn't act that way. Let's let's give them some empathy. Let's let them express themselves and then ask the right questions. If you can get a lot of information, you can teach a lot from simply asking questions and getting them to self dissect a little bit and getting them to maybe come to the realization on their own. They don't have to be perfect. Nobody expects that, that they are beautiful. That's okay to mess up. And organically finding ways to input some relevant stories, maybe from your past, uh, and and leave it at that. So it's sort of a dance for teenagers, right? Kids, you can, yeah. younger kids, you can be a more straightforward. The older ones, it's a bit more of a dance. You have to be a bit more strategic in how you approach them and the questions you ask and how you maneuver that conversation, but it's going to take a little bit of time and you have to build up that habit in them to be able to, that it's okay to talk to your mom and dad about what's going on. And it's okay not to, not to be perfect and not to be affected so much by society. It's a dance, but one worth taking for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the best takeaway take messages here is that it's really about letting them feel that they are accepted no matter what and that it takes time it's not a one-time conversation and it's a it's a process and it's a process of i like i liked how you called it a dance you move a little they move a little you approach each other then you get you know further away from each other and you dance around the issue a couple of times and then you always in this way give them the message that this is something we can talk about this is why i'm here for i'm here for you so when you're ready we're going to talk about it. Relationships take work, don't they? They take yeah. a lot of work. And I always say relationships are a choice too. And the time you will, you're going to put in that relationship is a choice. And with your children, the time you want to spend with them, the time you want to communicate with them is a choice. You get to decide how much interaction you're going to do, how much of that dance you're going to go. You know, I can dance all night, right? You got to decide how, how long you're willing to do it. And with your kids, you know, we should be willing to go to the ends of the earth to mm -hmm. break through to them. They're our flesh and blood. That's our legacy. And we care about how they feel and how they act, but we just have to learn how to approach them on it, especially when they get a little bit older. Yeah. All right. So we are uh, approaching uh, the end of this conversation, uh, which was, I think was very illuminating and, and powerful around these topics of how, how to approach. I think I really like this concept of communi communicate to motivate, which is how, how do we approach each other 
So in, in my scope, it's how we uh, parents approach, uh, you know, each other, like each one in his or her own spouse, or especially our children and, and learning to do so as they grow up, because the ways you talk to them, they, the basics are the basics, but you have to really know how to scale up the conversation and let them be themselves and and let them know that there is always a safe place so that's there's a lot to be done here uh, for parents and i think that's part of the magic of, of being a parent of seeing seeing that happening it is it's it's a process but one worth uh one worth taking for sure yeah i want to close up with a question that's uh, it's it's a question i ask everybody at the end of these uh, conversations. And so you said you have six and four years old, right? Yes. So, you know, if you could go back in time a couple of years ago, six or seven years ago, before you became a parent, when it was, you know, on the horizon, but before you became a dad and have a, a, a conversation with yourself, maybe maybe a motivational conversation with yourself, with your past self, what would you like to to tell that person? As it relates to, so what would I tell my past self? Yeah, like, uh, I, I would tell that I would tell that person to um, not have such a not have such a short not have such a short fuse. I mm. think I think there were times when my kids were really young where I would let little behavior things or splash in the tub or, or you know spilling something where I'd be like, "What are you doing?" You know, where I would react really strongly because I wasn't used to the chaos yet. And I call it chaos. I say that <laughs> lovingly, right? Yeah. They the, had the kitchen being a mess, the rooms being a mess. I like to keep things nice and tight and orderly, right? So I would definitely tell that person, hey, you are going to miss this time when they are young, right? When they grow up or when they leave the house, you're going to miss, you know, the messy kitchen, the <laughs> the bath time, the 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 little things. So just try to take it in stride, I would say. And I would just say, just breathe. Try to find, you know, put, put in the corrective behavior if you have to, but just try to smile and, and know that they're being kids and kids mess around and kids get into trouble sometimes and kids say kooky things and kids spill stuff and write on your floor when you don't want them to. <laughs> and Everything can be cleaned up, you know, my house, you know, my kitchen might get messy, but it always gets cleaned up every night, you know, and I'm going to miss the time. You're going to miss that time if you don't really enjoy it and try to look at it from a different perspective instead of just looking at it as, oh, here we go again and trying to be negative and, and sigh. I, I would definitely tell them to just slow down a little bit. Awesome. Thanks. That That's really meaningful. So um, if uh, any one of my listeners want to learn more about you and what you do, maybe work with you, how can people find more about you? Sure. So my podcast comes out every Monday. It's called Communicate to Motivate. You can find it everywhere. It's on Apple, Google, Spotify, every podcast you know platform. My website is jimvanallen.com. Uh, v is in Victor, A-N-A-L-L-A-N. There's some information there on my training and speaking and the podcast links are all there too. And my work with author John Gordon, J-O-N Gordon. Uh, he's written The Energy Bus, The No Complaining Rule, Power of Positive Leadership. 
uh, his website, J-O-N-Gordon-G-O-R-D-O-N.com. And that has a lot more information on specific positive schools training too. So I love connecting with listeners all the time. I'm on social media at Jim Van Allen, uh, V-A-N-A-L-L-A-N. Look me up. Let's communicate to motivate, right? Let's have some fun and have some Keep the conversation going. Yeah. I, okay. That's that's great. And I, I'll put the links in the show notes of this episode. So you can find those at apparentlyparent.com. And that's that for today. So again, Jim, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. Um, I had a lot of fun. And I hope we can, you know, continue to communicate. Let's do it. I enjoyed it as well. And let's use communication to the fullest extent so we can have better relationships <laughs> with everybody, especially our kids. So thank yeah. you. Awesome. Thanks. All right. That was Jim Van Ellen. I really hope you have enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I think there are a lot of good topics here that we touched upon and you can expand on more on so if you want just check out Jim's website and learn more about the ways he talks about communication and motivation now if you have found any value from this episode I would like to know just reach out to me through the website at apparentlyparent.com or on the instagrams at apparentlyparent let me know what is one thing that you can take from this this episode and also share it with your friends and if you haven't done so yet please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts on whether it's apple Podcasts, spotify a pigeon who is bringing you tapes of podcasts i don't know you can subscribe everywhere to this podcast and get new episode that are released every thursday and that brings me to the end of this episode today i bid you farewell and hope you will have a wonderful parenting journey this week see you next thursday bye bye